suddenly the target feels much more personal. It's not just the general esoteric, oh yeah, those folks out there, but it's that me, it's that us, it's that corporate you. So let's go ahead and read our text for today. So again, Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Notice how, in what we just read, Jesus didn't change his target. It's still not that general you out there. It's a very, uh, or, or them out there. It's a very specific you, the group in here. We're not in the general blessedness statements anymore. We're, we're, we're talking something nice and personal, which is what we church people like, right? We like it when, when God talks specifically to us, uh, except... I will, I will say at the outset that the Christian life, I wish I could remember who said this, but somebody told me once the Christian life is a life of being wrong and God telling you you're wrong and then continuing to be wrong, but being corrected and built up and, and lovingly rebuked. Um, and my preparation for this sermon has kind of been that. <laughs> um, I've heard the salt of the earth and the light of the world so many times in my Christian walk that they just mean what they mean. But, uh, but telling me that it means something else means I innately get defensive. Anybody ever have that happen? You ever, you ever be so sure of something that when somebody tells you you're wrong, you, you react a little harshly? And, uh, and that's kind of been my walk the last week. So if I sound scatterbrained, I apologize ahead of time. But it's really because the Lord has been hitting me hard with these, with these words. Um, all right, going back, sorry. Uh, there's some people out there that when we continue the Sermon on the Mount, they think of the Sermon on the Mount as almost a disconnected set of Proverbs of Jesus. Like if we turn to the book of Proverbs, you don't need to, but if you, if you turn, it's like every other sentence is a totally different topic, almost unrelated after the first few chapters. And so this is treated as that. But again, Jesus is using that very particular you, not they. He's continuing his theme. And he actually changes the theme starting in verse 17. So when we're looking at verses 13 to 16, Jesus is giving an example of the Beatitudes, an example actually specifically of the last one, I think. Uh, I take it as... as as that. And as one scholar noted, and this is a paraphrase because his quote is way longer than this, but one scholar noted, if anyone were to think that the Christian life were one of privatized religion, religion that doesn't need to be seen by others, then they are sorely mistaken. And this example of salt and light is proof of that. So, when we read uh, well, Jesus is showing his listeners, which includes us, that the Beatitudes are not things that we keep to ourselves. Being pure in heart, being merciful, being poor in spirit is not just an attitude I make as I isolate myself in my own little world. 
It's something that therefore causes me to do something. It's something that makes me go out. It's something that makes me connect with others. It's something that makes us, the church, united. So our text today announces this, and this is, if you remember nothing else, remember this sentence. The life of a kingdom citizen is shown by being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So what does that even mean? Well, let's talk about it. So, starting in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Um, I want to I say on the outset that one of the things that I was taught about this verse is, is, is about somebody's salvation fading away. And I, I don't think that's what Jesus means here. I don't think that's where Jesus is going. So, um, so, so what, what does salt do? In today's world, we have several kinds of salt. We've got iodized salt. We've got non-iodized salt. We've got sea salt. We've got sea salt that you can grind. We've got, uh, we've got that pink Himalayan salt. You guys seen that? We've also got kosher salt. To be honest, though, salt tastes like salt to me. <laughs> so, so when I have all these different ways of salt, now I've just triggered somebody that loves kosher salt, I'm sure. But, but, <laughs> but like salt tastes like salt to me, but, and it has a very particular purpose. It's used for flavoring, right? Um, iodized salt has another purpose. But, but really, honestly, salt is to make things salty, right? So today we're going to be talking about your all saltiness, which in our terminology means somebody's grumpiness, but I don't want you to think about it that way. Um, so uh, in, in the world of Jesus, salt had multiple purposes. It wasn't just actually um, flavoring food. It was, it, it, it was kind of like a miracle drug. Right? Uh, you ever hear, you, you, I mean, nowadays we would say, like, oh, kid falls, gets hurt, oh, rub some dirt on it. Well, in Jesus' time, if you had it, if you got injured, you would rub salt on it to make sure that it wouldn't putrefy, to make sure that you wouldn't get an infection. It was also used to preserve food. Uh, it, was, it was also used to, um, to build up thirst. I mean, there's tons of different ways that this metaphor can be taken when Jesus calls Christians the salt of the earth, but I think Jesus' point has two, he's focusing on two primary purposes. He's talking about purifying and preserving. So keep that in mind. The purpose of the salt of being the salt of the earth is to purify and preserve. Um, the church is a place where people can become really easily discouraged, which it shouldn't be. And I'm, 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 uh, I, I'm sorry for the bluntness there, but the church is a place where people can come in and they don't really feel purified, they feel judged. And they don't really feel preserved, they feel cast out. But friends, that really shouldn't be. That shouldn't be the core of our saltiness. Um, in Jesus' time, salt didn't come in a nice little shaker. It came as a brick. You would buy a brick, it comes out of salt stone. Uh, it, would be, it would be chipped out of the salt stone and it would be sold essentially by weight to people that would take it home. They would use it to preserve meat. 
They would use it to flavor the meat, which if you're preserving meat, I mean, if you use too much salt, salt it turns into jerky. But, uh, but, but they would use it to, to take care of it. So salt was used to preserve things in the house. And Jesus raises this question. He says, but if salt has lost its taste. Now tell me, how does salt lose its taste? Is there an expiration date on your salt? There is, but it doesn't lose its taste. Uh, salt, that's kind of a modern thing. Salt doesn't really expire. It doesn't fade in flavor over time, like for instance, oregano. If you, if you set oregano out on your, on your counter and you leave the cap open, I mean, that flavor's gone in no time. <laughs> it needs to be contained. But salt doesn't really lose its flavor. The only way for salt to lose its flavor is if it drips off the brick. For instance, if you store it on a shelf and it leaks and water slowly drips down on the brick and then salt comes off the brick and it goes down onto the ground where it's trampled on. So, Jesus is not being wrong. He's making kind of a metaphorical statement. Well, it's all a metaphorical statement, but he's making something clear that if salt has lost its taste, if salt has lost its ability, it's faded. It's gone. Which is where we get the idea that Jesus might be talking about salvation being gone, but he's not. He's actually saying that if salt loses its taste, it's ineffective. It's not dead. It's just not doing anything. And therefore, you throw it out. So how then would you restore the saltiness of salt? Do we have anything? Uh, how do you restore saltiness? If, you're, if your salt is gone, what do you do? You buy more. Is that what you're going to say? All right, yeah. <laughs> the same thing is true when you, in, in the ancient world, when your salt is losing, when you're running out of salt and it's not doing anything, you buy more and you put, you put the salt next to the other salt. You need more salt in order for salt to be effective. If salt fades, you need more salt. So when, when, what, what then do we understand? When, when, just, to make, just to understand what Jesus means when he says, you are the salt of the earth. I think what he's saying is that we have to, we have to, uh, we have to preserve and purify one another. Because Jesus, the statement again, the blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. How on earth can you rejoice and be glad from being persecuted? Well, by being preserved, by being purified, by being helped. So this metaphor is just a continuation of Jesus' thought. So we must endeavor, honestly, as a church to not allow each other to lose our saltiness. We have to look out for one another. We have to be the salt that rubs off on each other's salt. We have to restore each other's saltiness. So when people come into a church and they feel discouraged, they feel broken down, they get thrown out, they feel whatever it is, man, what we need to do is recognize that we are hurting, that we need our own godliness shared in, in compassionate love for one another, and we need to restore each other's saltiness. So that instead of being salty in our con cultural context where we're jerks or we're grumpy or whatever it is, we can be compassionate. We can be purifying. We can be preserving. So how 
when we are the salt of the earth, how then do we maintain our saltiness? I, I, I have two primary applications for, for, for that thought, and it's, it's done by assembling together and also by a willingness to have our unbiblical notions purified by biblical truth. And I'm sorry for not boiling that one down more, but we'll talk about that. So first off, assembling together. Here we are in COVID. Assembling together is a hot button issue. But go ahead and turn to Hebrews 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. It's a familiar verse to most of us. We've probably heard it. But this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, uh, so when, uh, so, so the author of Hebrews is saying it's beneficial for Christians to be together, right? When we can't be together, are we still together sometimes? Y'all call one another, check in on one another? Do you do house visits? Do you do stuff like that? I hope so. But we're commanded to gather all the more as we see the day drawing near. Friends, we are closer to Jesus' return now than we were in the time of the guy writing Hebrews or the lady writing Hebrews, probably the guy. Don't get me started on that track. Uh, but... But, the, but when he wrote this, or when she wrote this, the author of Hebrews wrote this, we're closer now to Jesus' return than then. But we live in an isolationist culture, don't we? When COVID happened, and it wasn't necessarily safe to gather physically, there, there are people throughout the church, that I'm not just talking this church, but the church who basically said, no, nah, I'm not going to watch on Facebook. Now nah, I'm not going to participate in any way possible. If my church building is closed, I won't even watch a sermon because I can't be there with people. But friends, we're supposed to be gathering together all the more. All the more means more, means more often, means in more ways. Means having breakfast together. It means hanging out. It means taking your kids to the park. It means hanging out, shooting up fireworks in the middle of a church parking lot on the 4th of July. We're supposed to hang out all the more. We're supposed to be together all the more as we see the day drawing near. So when the author of Hebrews says, gather, instead of neglecting it, like some, he means more than just on Sundays. You want to keep your saltiness? Be around godly people. Their salt rubs off, and you gather it. But the author of Hebrews says something in verse 24, and that's why I wanted to hit that, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. When you isolate yourself, do you feel the need to show love and do good works? Nah, man, not me. All right, I'm going to be honest with myself here. Not me. When I isolate myself, when I'm not with fellow fellow believers, when I'm not around other Christians, I don't care <laughs> what's happening outside my doors. I'm more concerned fixing the, uh, the vent fan or, <laughs> or like uh, doing yard work, which needs to get done, Scott. I'm telling myself that to-do list. Uh, but, but, uh, but I'm more concerned about taking care of myself and my needs than I am anyone else. 
The love and good works is to love Scott and do good works for Scott. But when I'm with you guys, when I'm together, when I'm, when I'm able to spend time with you, it stirs up something in me to care, to be compassionate, to, to care about poor Rick who is building or built a, uh, a, a wall in his backyard and is carrying 700-pound bricks. That's not true. 70? Were they 70 or 35? I can't remember. How heavy are your bricks? 69 pounds. I care a little bit more about Rick's suffering in that <laughs> when I'm around him. And I, 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 watch how, I watch how slowly he's bending over more as the weeks go by. <laughs> I, 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 I care about him. And when you guys need help, I'm happy to help. I like lifting bricks. Um, so just call me. But and I'm sure there's other people in the church that would care too. Maybe not to lift bricks, but to bring you a cup of water, something. We get stirred up for love and good works when we're together, don't we? When we see each other, when we know our pains and struggles. Don't neglect gathering, even if it's not just on Sundays. For by neglecting that, you'll find your heart growing cold and your saltiness fading. Another way we endeavor to not lose our saltiness, again, is being willing to have our unbiblical notions purified by biblical truth. Every church has what I'll call a community well. <laughs> I can't think of a better thing to, to describe it as, but every church has its own culture, its own DNA, and every church also has somebody throwing something in the well that's not exactly good to drink. I'm not pointing fingers, all right? I'm not saying that. Uh, chances are, at many points, it's me. I'll say something stupid or off the cuff. I can promise I do both of those. And that's the one thing people hear. But I need to be confronted in that. When I say something stupid, I need somebody to come up and say, hey, did you mean what you said when you said that? And I can say, I didn't say that. <laughs> but I, chances are I did. But, but we have a community well that's polluted at some point. And we need the pure word of God to convict us of that, to, to change us, to, to keep us from false teachings or false dichotomies. False teaching ruins the savor of the gospel. And it putrefies our hearts and deadens our saltiness, doesn't it? When you hear somebody that has some sort of a high, highfalutin philosophical argument for why they don't have to care about somebody else, can't you just feel that their saltiness is gone? That their love is gone? That they're just deadened? And so when I started this and said that our, the Christian walk is primarily about being wrong and being changed, that's part of it. If we want our saltiness, we need to assemble together and we need to come under God's word and we, we need to be convicted and changed and transformed and helped and encouraged and rebuked and what other words can I use to describe what God's word does? But, but we need all that, don't we? Don't we need that? Don't you need that? Most of my Christian walk was being 
stained by false teachings. I, came, I became a Christian when I was 17, and I had a myriad of people. You know, when there's a new Christian in a church, everybody swarms them, and everybody wants to make them their disciple. It's just kind of what happens. <laughs> and the people that swarmed me gave me some funky theology, man. Uh, and I spent most of my Christian walk having God's word change me in that. And I had some loving pastors that came alongside. And they were, by the way, usually not the ones who came up to me and said, hey, we need to meet for coffee. The pastors were usually the ones that said, hey, when you need, if you need prayer, let me know. Like they stood standoffish. It was, it was a kindness. They didn't want to overwhelm me. But I needed to be purified. I was taught bad theology. My wife bought me a shirt for my birthday or for uh, Father's Day that says, uh, "Awesome dads grow beards and read good theology." It's a, it's a great shirt. <laughs> so we need that, but we need that together, friends. If we if we want to be the salt of the earth, if we don't want to lose our effectiveness, our saltiness then we need to do that. We need to be together. Any teaching that relies predominantly on philosophical presuppositions or denies clear arguments in Scripture or relies on any form of shifting information as its primary authority is a danger to us losing our saltiness. Beware those things. And beware who you listen to. can't tell you the number of times I've heard people uh, talking, talking about some biblical principle blown way out of proportion, and they're just on fire for it. They just love it at that time. But then maybe the, 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 the YouTube string that they go through to, to watch, the, one of the people they talk to is, or they listen to is maybe not, uh, may, maybe not who they should be listening to. And you'll find that when you try and tell them that, they explode. They, they defend that person with their life. But, but folks, be careful who you listen to. Listen to someone who is more concerned with God's word transforming your life as the gospel truth than somebody who's, I don't know, concerned about the very day that Jesus is going to return. Not that he's going to return, but if they say he's going to return, I don't know, what year is it, right? If I were to tell you I know for sure Jesus is returning July 5th, 2020, the Mayan calendar, and I throw in all these other things. I just, I mean, Paul has permission to hit me with a chair in that circumstance. <laughs> so now you might be thinking at this point, Pastor, you've been talking a lot about being salt, but you haven't even read the rest of the passage. You're right. I did read it, though, so that's wrong. But... But saltiness, again, we can't lose this. And this is, this is where I struggled all week, was what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Because salt is predominantly inward-focused. It's not outward-focused, right? Salt, I put on my plate. I don't go to my neighbor's house and say, hey, can I salt your food? Do you, do you, need, do you need a little salt? I'm pretty sure that would be weird. So <laughs> when we use salt, we tend to use it for ourselves. And I think that's Jesus' point is that you are the salt of the earth is, is a statement that you need to be encouraging one another, building each other up, prepping each other for the day that you suffer for righteousness' sake. 
I've had so many friends that, 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 that honestly wouldn't have survived college or wouldn't have survived the trials and tumults of this life. One, one person I know had got, got diagnosed with cancer and it was a type of cancer that it was either if the operation works, you'll live. If it doesn't work, you're dead in two years. And you know what? He wasn't even so much concerned about what his life was, was going to be like the length of his life. He was more concerned about how he could faithfully go into this uh, circumstance and glorify God. And regardless of the outcome, he could say, God, you are good. And that happened because he was in a circumstance where the people that were around him were constantly rubbing their godliness off of him or off to him constantly showing him the beauty, the wonder of this God who Scripture testifies of. And he was captivated by that beauty instead of just being stuck in whatever, whatever philosophy was popular for that month. So Jesus goes on. After, By the way, if our effectiveness fades... If our encouragement and, and compassion and love for one another fades, that's when we're no longer good for anything except to be thrown on the ground and trampled on. But then Jesus expands with another metaphor. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. You know how dumb that would be? I think this is, I, I think this is one of the funniest things Jesus ever said. If, I, if, if you came in uh, next Sunday and I put tinfoil over all the lights, I won't do that because I don't, I, I don't know if it would be a fire hazard, but if I put tinfoil over all the lights so there was no light being produced in here, would you say that Scott was wise or that that was the dumbest thing he's done yet? <laughs> why would you put a basket over a lamp and in Jesus's time lamps were flammable <laughs> you don't want to put a basket over a lamp for several smart reasons but Jesus's point is that you wouldn't want to do that because you don't want to hide its light you don't want to have a city on a hill that's shining a light and go ah how can we wall this up so it only produces for the city and doesn't bleed out into other surrounding regions? See, being salty means that we're also doing things outside, too. That there's a love and a compassion in our walls that bleeds outside like light from a city. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. If we're salty, we cannot hide our light. The joy, the radiance of God's glory and beauty that come from a salty church is astounding. Remember the author of Hebrews' rationale for gathering? 1024, that we stir up one another for love and good works. Friends, if we're truly meeting together, it's not only for the benefit of one another, but it's also for the benefit of those around us who are desperate for the love of God. 
It'll flow through us like light from a city. Jesus then says in verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's an interesting statement because if others are seeing it, if we're going to think of these others as non-Christians, it seems like they get attracted to the light. Not the programs, not the coolness, not the hip factor, which is rebuking to me because I'm constantly thinking, how can I make this building a little bit brighter, a little bit nicer? I'm, al I'm always thinking about that because that's something I obsess over. Hence why we have like four logo designs at some point to be presented toward you. But anyway, but, but, <laughs> but I'm always thinking about tweaks, little teeny tweaks. But friends, it's not the look of the church. It's the love of the church that has people come. So how are we doing on that? How can we be doing that? I'm not saying we're not, but how can we be doing it? How can we, uh, how can we be, be showing this, this, this light, our saltiness, the, the, the preserving, purifying warmth that we have? I propose that the best way for us to let our light shine is to be united, to be together, to gather in whatever way is most befitting for the time, to love our neighbor and to care for one another. So how is your saltiness, friends? Are you concerned for the church and not the building of the church, Scott, but the people of this church? Has your love for fellow Christians, your delight in gathering, your concern for each other's doctrine faded? Has life here just become commonplace for you? And you just come because it's on your calendar. Salt saltiness can only be restored, again, by being combined with more salt. So friends, be placed near other salt bricks that are larger and able to, able to share their, their salt. Have the minerals combined once again, because if your saltiness is faded, you need to seep some godliness from those who love the Lord with all their heart, who hold to pure biblical teaching. Pour over, meditate on, and be conformed to God's word together, friends. Because when we do it, we will be seen. We will want to be seen. We will want to care about our neighbors and our friends. Which is especially fun to have some of our neighbors here. So anyway, <laughs> it was great seeing you guys yesterday, by the way. But, um, but it's, 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 it's great to be seen. And not seen as the cultural judgy saltiness, but as the true biblical saltiness. As a, a community that cares as a community that, that, that gives a rip what happens to our neighbors. Let's pray. God, I plead with you that we would be reminded that we are the salt of the earth, that we're the light of the world, that you've placed us 
as, as, as a group to not be only inwardly focused, but use an inward focus that expels us outward like light from a city. May we be a, a church that glorifies you. May, may you revive your church, not just us, but revive the church in America that amidst all the, the complaints and controversy and craziness that happens, we would be recognized more for our warmth, our pure love. May we not retract on that which is important in order to accomplish that, but may we stand on your pure word. Conform us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, examine your saltiness this week. Examine your hearts. Know that Jesus is perfectly salty and perfectly light, which is so weird to say, and I'm, I wish I had a better way to say it. But know that he is perfect, and he is easy relied upon. Go in peace.